I think people who aren't familiar with Vin News off the bat assume that we write a lot about dogs and you know puppies and kittens pet things like that we're pet reporters and we're not we we actually don't write about animals predominantly we write about things that affect veterinarians that is Edie Lau the director of the Vin News Service and this is the Vin Foundation's Veterinary Pulse podcast I'm Jordan Benshia, Executive Director of the VIN Foundation. Join me and our co-host and VIN Foundation board member, Dr. Matt Holland, as we talk with veterinary colleagues about critical topics and share stories. Stories that connect us as humans, as animals, as a veterinary community. This podcast is made possible by individuals like you who donate to the VIN Foundation. Thank you. Please check the episode notes for bios, links, and information mentioned. Welcome, Edie. Thank you for joining us. Hey, Jordan. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate your interest. Of course, of course. I've been wanting to get you on here for a while, and so we're really excited. And Edie is the director of the VIN News Service, which is part of the VIN family. And as most of our listeners know, VIN is the Veterinary Information Network. VIN is a separate entity from the VIN Foundation, and VIN is an online community of veterinary colleagues. So welcome, Edie. Thank you for joining us. And we're just going to dive right in. How did you get into journalism and specifically veterinary journalism? I grew up a bookworm and I wanted to write novels. So by high school, I was aware that most people can't make a living writing books right away. And that (laughs) led me to newspaper reporting because I realized, oh, I could get paid to write. I could ask nosy questions and learn about lots of different things. And theoretically, I could live anywhere because every town had a newspaper, right? <laughs> right, uh, right. Those That's were the days. Very... <laughs> those were the days. Uh, I studied journalism and English in college. I did some internships and I got my first newspaper jobs in California, covering the usual gamut of subjects, um, local government, police, fire, community mm-hmm. events. And um, then I moved to upstate New York for a job covering the environment. This was in the late 80s and early 90s. It was the first time I learned about global warming. I went on from there to a job in Portland, Maine, where I covered the marine bee, things like commercial fishing and island culture. Mm -hmm. Um, Then I returned to California, and I was at the Sacramento Bee, and I covered energy, science, and a little bit of medicine. And all that added up to 20-something years. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) So, and and back in the day, at that day, and I think to probably still today, people moved around a lot in journalism. That was kind Mm -hmm. of an expected thing. And so that's what we did. And and that, that suited us. And I say us, um, that my husband's also a journalist. Um, In 2007, so we'd been at the B for um, 10 years at that point. He was at the B as well. Mm -hmm. And he and I decided to make a big change. Um, Again, that was 2007, and Craigslist and the internet were really wrecking the paper news model. Yep. (laughs) So, yeah, we thought, you know, we we should jump out while the jumping's good. So we um, sold our house in Sacramento, and we moved to a small city in Washington State. My husband had a job at a local paper, 
and I freelanced from home so I could be more available to our daughter, who at that time was in the first grade. Oh, that's great. Yeah. 2008, that's the next year, <laughs> Dr. Paul Pion, <laughs> co-founder and president of VIN, which, as we say in News Stories, is an online community for the profession. Right. Uh, Paul set up the VIN News Service, and he started it with one reporter slash editor, Jennifer Fiala. And Jennifer had previously worked for DVM Magazine. Um, after a few months uh, with Jennifer doing the job solo, Paul thought it would be a good idea to have another reporter on board because Jennifer was due to have a baby later that year and would mm. be out for a bit. So mm -hmm. a mutual friend introduced Paul and me. And long story long, that's how I got into veterinary journalism. So the VIN News Service started in 2008. Do you know what it was about that time frame that had Paul started up? Or motivated him yeah, to do so? Yeah, so 2007 was the big um, melamine in pet food crisis. So um, it, those who had pets at the time might remember that something was happening. Uh, dogs, mostly dogs, were, were getting really sick and they didn't know what it was. And because VIN has all these message boards where veterinarians, pra practitioners, clinicians can talk to each other, my understanding is that they were trying to figure it out. Like VIN mm -hmm. became kind of mm -hmm. a central hub for trying to um, uncover what it was, what was the common thread. My understanding is that that inspired him like, hey, we need our own news service. Right. If we had our own news reporters, our own professional journalists here. We could take what VINners um, talk about and, you know, fact check it, you know, vet it through the usual ways and, and then share it with the world. That's interesting. I mean, that's a lot how things at VIN and the VIN Foundation, I mean, both of, you know, VIN and the VIN Foundation have similar guiding principles, and both of them are really built on when the community or veterinary colleagues share that there is a need or express that there is a need, you know, things get created or improved upon, right? And I, yeah. that's one of my favorite things about the, both the organizations. Yeah, it's pretty cool that the only impediment is the idea, coming up with the idea and figuring out how to execute it. Yeah. Yeah. And that can be challenging as well, of course. <laughs> so <laughs> backtracking for just a minute, yeah. you went to all these different papers and covered all these different beats. What was one of your favorite assignments or, you know, papers that you worked for? I mean, those were probably really the great days of papers, right? I mean, definitely we've seen a decrease in subscribers and, um, and for sure printed papers and you're seeing a lot more digital sub subscriptions, but I just have to imagine, I mean, I'm a little bit, I'm a, not a little bit, I'm a total journalism buff. So um, I, I'm just curious, what was your favorite paper to work for or your favorite beat to work on back from back then? Mm. Uh, so Portland, Maine was my favorite mm -hmm. place to work. Uh, the Portland Press Herald and Maine Sunday Telegram was a wonderful um, family owned uh, newspaper. And um, Port Portland is the largest city in Maine, but I don't know what the population is today, but at the time it was about 250,000, which mm -hmm. tells you, so it's a small city, but as the largest city in the state, it had a lot of big city amenities without big city um, problems. Right. By, you know, a lot of population. So I had a, a marvelous time um, covering the Marine beat there. And I also had um, the great good fortune to do a, a 
assignment um, that was actually in collaboration with, I believe, four other newspapers up and down the eastern seaboard um, in hiking the Appalachian Trail. We really Oh, that's it. so cool. <laughs> it was really cool. I got the last, the final 200 miles. I say final, the northernmost 200 miles. What? Oh yeah. my gosh, this is a total, I mean, that's another total passion fascination of mine is the PCT and the CDT and the AT. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so you got to hike the last 200 miles of the AT. Yeah. And of course I had to prep for that. So the summer before I set out, I had probably like 70 miles of training hikes that were part of my job. <laughs> oh my gosh, that is so cool. Well, yeah. you and I are going to definitely have to offline some of that conversation because <laughs> I have a lot really of questions fun. about that. It was really fun. I, I didn't get sick for a year after that because my immune system was so revved from, right. from just that, you know, constant being in motion and living outside and, and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah. And then, and then on the Marine side, I had a really cool assignment just before I left there, I got to go to Norway and document the return of the cod fishery. So in New mm-hmm. England, the cod fishery, the ground fish, which is primarily cod, um, had collapsed. I think it's still struggling. Mm-hmm. Um, but in Norway, which had had the same issue some years before, they um, really cracked down on how much fishing could be done. And as a result, the cod came back. And so I got to go there and, and um, see how that worked, see what it looked like. And it was in December, so it was really dark. Wow, dark <laughs> so, and cold. Yeah, it was dark and cold, but really <laughs> exciting. So those were two really fun ex- assignments I got to do um, back in the day when newspapers had resources. Some of them they really, do. Yeah, some of them still do. This sort of brings us into our next question, which was, you, know, you went from newsrooms, multiple newsrooms, hiking the AT <laughs> or going to Norway what was that adjustment like? And was it a big adjustment switching from working in a newsroom to working as a telecommuter and working from home? Yeah. So let me, it, it was a, it is a big difference. Let me tell you a little bit about how Venus is set up. Um, so we are entirely remote, as you know, mm-hmm. um, and that's not unusual for Vin, I believe. I could be wrong about this. I think it's at least half, though, of the people who work for Vin are remote. Um, and this is long before remote was a thing, right? So right, this is pre-pandemic. Long before, <laughs> long before. Um, I mentioned Jennifer Fiala. She works in Ohio. I'm near Seattle. And the other two full-timers on the team uh, is, are Lisa Wogan, who is also in Seattle, and Ross Kelly, who is in Sydney, Australia. And we communicate by Slack, text, email, message boards, phone, and Zoom. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are lots of other staffers at VIN who support the news operation on a part-time basis. Um, so it's very unlike your traditional newsroom, which is which <laughs> was kind of a sweatshop look. <laughs> it's like one giant room, no no partitions or like small partitions, the classic right. look. And, and I remember when I was in Sacramento, somebody coming in and, and visiting the newsroom who was just like horrified. He was like, oh my God, how do you guys... How do you guys work in these conditions? Because it seemed really noisy uh, to him. And, and it was, um, but we just kind of learned to tune out um, our neighbors. But also, they would be just right there. So if you were working on a story and you, you had a question, a word question, or how should I say this, you could just look over your, you know, look over to the next desk and consult right. your colleagues and, and do that. So it was a lot of um, interaction that way. We, we do that some. We'll, we'll hit each other up on Slack and go like, hey, I got a word question for you. But it's just a little bit, you know, there's that. A it's a little different. 
Mm-hmm. And you also don't mm-hmm. know if somebody's right in the middle of something. Right. Um, you can't see them. So um, you're hoping that they'll be honest with you and say, give me a sec. I'm <laughs> in the middle of something, you know. So there's that. Um, um, yeah. So that set up. So the, the difference was coming, coming as a telecommuter. And I think a lot of people can probably relate now who have been doing this since the pandemic is it takes a particular uh, sort of discipline to work from home. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to stay out of the kitchen, <laughs> stay out of that pantry, <laughs> um, you know, and you might find that folding laundry is a great break from staring at the screen. <laughs> so you can get you know something else done while you're taking a, a quick 10 minutes away. Um, back again in the day. And I, I, I'm, I'm hoping that this is no longer the case, but there were a lot of people who did not understand that working from home meant that you were working. Yeah. So they like stopped by, <laughs> want to chat, want to call, did not get that you were actually in the middle of some things. I, I do think that that has, that has waned. Um, I want to, I want to mention the one other thing about then this isn't so much, well, no, it's not so much, it doesn't affect the day-to-day working of it, but one thing that is really distinct about Vin News from um, conventional news operations and news outlets is that we don't take any advertising. Mm-hmm. There's no right. ads. You go in onto news.vin.com, which is publicly accessible to anybody who has an internet right. connection, and you're not going to get any pop-ups. You're not going to get tracked and get ads popping right. in. So that is... For, for me as a journalist, a really gratifying thing not to have yeah. to deal. I mean, I never, I never overtly had any pressure like, oh, you have to do, you know, you should do this or that. I mean, that was like there was a big separation. There is a big separation in news operations from the advertising base. But nevertheless, if I go on to just uh, news sites for whoever. Mm-hmm. the ads would make me crazy. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's something that I think that most of us that, you know, work within VIN or VIN foundation, we almost take for granted now because we're so used to not seeing them. And then when we go to other sites, it's almost, it's so off putting because we're just yes. so not used to it. Right. I mean, yeah, the, VIN is, VIN is great like that. I mean, the no sponsorship, no advertising really, I think, I mean, at least for me, feels that there is a level of trust there and especially a level of trust with the data, which VIN values so highly. Um, And I think that people are so used to their data being sold and utilized these days that there are definitely some that just feel like it's second nature. But I think that that's a good good thing to note about the VIN news services. And I actually recently signed up for updates and it's been fantastic because every time you guys write a new story, I get an email and it's ah. great because it's just, it's something else. And we'll put that link in the episode notes too so other people can do it and they won't get spammed with other stuff. I'm, I'm literally just getting the news articles mm-hmm. that you guys are that you guys are writing, which are always great. And I, I find it hard to consistently go and check the site. So it's really helpful for me to be able to have those just come into my email so I can get a quick read on what's going on in the profession. And so yeah, I appreciate that. that. Because yeah. we, don't, we don't publish on a set schedule I mentioned the size of our team, four full-timers. Mm-hmm. That's not a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So we publish um, on average twice a week, but we don't have the day that it's going to come out, right? It's not right. like every Tuesday at 3 o'clock. We kind of go with what our what naturally flows. Um, and sometimes that we clump. I call it clumping. <laughs> I try not to, but we might get you know two in a row 
or there might be a, a stretch of several days before we can get one out. And um, um, for that reason, we started this subscription free where you can right. sign up to get email alerts. And that's all you get if you sign up for that. You will just get an alert when we have the next stories out, a little synopsis of it, link to mm-hmm. it. Um, you can open it, or if that's a topic that doesn't interest you, just keep going. Um, right. We pledge, we pledge. We don't use those email addresses for anything else. So what, if anything, do you feel changed for you during the pandemic work-wise? How did that, did that shift anything for the VIN News service team? Not really, um, Mm -hmm. except that we were extremely busy doing articles Mm -hmm. about the coronavirus and the effects on um, veterinary practice and of, of the pandemic and lockdown so there was mm-hmm. a lot that was one of those I mean we were severely clumping then we had we had some freelancers on board to help us uh with the workload and we were we were cranking for a good, good couple months there when everyone was running around trying to trying to adjust right. to this new crisis um so we were exhausted <laughs> but, <laughs> but but it didn't change in the way we operated you know we we were, as I said, telling painters all along. Um, so none of that was new. Although I will say that um, the rise of Zoom mm-hmm. and how comfortable and people are with it and how ubiquitous actually mm-hmm. changed the way I report. So I've, prior to that, I was very much um, old school, you know, telephone, mm-hmm. audio, um, and also communicating by email with sources. And Zoom, the pandemic made me much more comfortable with video calls. Mm, um, people mm-hmm. almost expect that you're going to ask for that, and they're right. totally, they're totally at ease with it. So I've been doing that, and I love it. <laughs> I actually love being able to see people again and see the environment that they're in. And you know, I've had I think the first one I did it, it was a, a, emerg- a yeah I think it was an emergency um, veterinarian in Hong Kong who was mm-hmm. dealing with an outbreak of, of some poisonings. And so he, uh, so it was like this crazy time difference, but we managed to make it work. And then he walked around and he showed me like some of the dogs. Oh, that's the, so cool. In the, in their space, you know, recovering, mm-hmm. or trying to recover from this, this poisoning thing. So, wow. um, yeah. So the technology has improved um, and that has benefited us. So you mentioned that one example of a, of a story that you wrote, and you've mentioned a couple others, but in general, what types of things do you write about? Yeah, so, so many different things. Really. <laughs> <laughs> what haven't we written about? Um, so I think people who aren't familiar with Vin News um, kind of off the bat assume that we write a lot about dogs and, you know, puppies and kittens, and, <laughs> you know, pet things like that. We're pet reporters. And we're not. We we actually don't write about animals predominantly. We write about things that affect veterinarians, and our core audience are um, veterinarians in clinical practice, in private practice, and so we have stories on things like practice ownership trends, mm-hmm. veterinary student debt, which is a very um, difficult problem. It's very high relative to the amount of money they can expect to make. And so that right. is a huge concern for the profession. Um, we write about things like laboratory diagnostic and equipment contracts 
which can trip up practices um, if they don't know the ins and outs of exactly what they're um, promising or mm -hmm. the standards of service that they can expect contractually. Right. When we write about drug shortages, pet insurance, we write about well-being and mental health of the people who uh, make up veterinary teams. And um, we write a lot lately about new veterinary schools coming online. It's <laughs> been happening a lot both in the United States and um, in the UK. That's right. So we kind of run the gamut. What are some of the most controversial or weird stories that you've covered? Jordan, these days it seems like anything that you write about turns out controversial <laughs> in some shape or form. I think it's just the mood of the people. Um, <laughs> um, but I was, I was thinking about this uh, the other day, kind of flipping through, thinking, okay, what, what is really controversial? Um, I would say that one of the things I've covered uh, that has really touched a nerve and, and makes people a little um, um, agitated is grain-free food. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very hot topic. It continues. I mean, yeah, I feel like this was a hot topic a few years ago and it just continues. Yeah, it's it's because so great. So the deal with grain free food specifically and health issues is that they found several years ago an association between um, eating a grain free diet and development of uh, dilated cardiomyopathy, a type mm -hmm. of serious health uh, heart condition. And they found this in dogs. Mm hmm. But they don't. The, the, the it's a it's a baffling association, and they haven't really nailed down precisely what's going on. They haven't found the smoking gun. Um, veterinarians, you know, being, you know, taking precaution would say, you know what? There's no, there's no actual reason that you should that you need to feed your dog this particular diet. It's okay for them to get grains. And mm -hmm. um, so, just. In an abundance of caution, you know, avoid that. But people get very passionate about food. Mm -hmm. It's very, very near and dear to many people's um, kind of philosophy of life. So, um, so it, it it causes friction. And um, um, I, I forget what year. I want to say 20, 2017 or twenty eighteen. The um, FDA uh, posted a list of the brands that were most associated with this condition in the reports that they had received from pet owners and veterinarians. So it was like a top, I forget how many, but like top six or top 10. Mm -hmm. And that was a big deal. They were saying, you know, these are the ones. Um, they weren't saying that these are the ones, these are a problem, but they're like, these names come up most frequently. And so we had the list and we put it out on Facebook and it was the, as well as, you know, as a part of a story. Right. It's the only time that we've ever gone viral on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> Not for the right reasons. <laughs> yeah. Shared like 22,000 times. Some people really were PO'd about that. They didn't like that we put that out there. They felt like we were maligning these companies. Um, we were just sharing, you know, what the FDA had said and, Helping, right. you know, our, our goal is for people to be informed and then they can make a decision. They can look at that and go, you know what? I'm, I really love this food. My dog is, seems healthy and fine on this food and, and go forth. Mm -hmm. But they're, they're informed, right? They've made an informed yep. decision and that's really right. all we're after. 
Right. Interestingly enough, we just had a story about raw foods just last week. I saw that in my yeah. email alert. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so the story with raw food, that, that there's already a, a little bit of a concern with raw food that because when you don't cook it, pathogens might be there and they're not going to get killed in the cooking process. Um, and so these um, researchers in Portugal found multi-drug resistant versions of E. coli in some samples that they tested. They found it actually in, as, in cooked as well as uncooked foods, mm -hmm. but they found it more, like every sample of the uncooked, like 14 mm -hmm. samples of the uncooked from taken from two brands came up with these, whereas the proportion was much smaller in the cooked samples. Um, so, you know, we put that out there and I just saw on Facebook, not viral, but I did see some people were, were uh, definitely upset. more traction than you're used to. <laughs> yeah. They were a little upset about, you know, because they were, you know, adherence to raw food. Again, you make your decision, but be right. aware, yep. wash your hands, be sure that you're just, you know, that this is a risk and, mm -hmm. and take the appropriate precautions. What story do you want to be writing a year from now about the veterinary profession? So that I want to be writing, not that I or that you hope to be writing, writing or writing. sure okay. that you think you'll be writing. You know, um, we're I, a free flow podcast here. We can go with any of it. <laughs> I, I'm terrible at predicting the future. Um, I don't pretend to do that. So I'll tell you what I would like to see happen. Okay. In the next year for the profession. And that is for it to become even more engaged than it already mm -hmm. is with the concept of One Health. Mm -hmm. and one Health recognizes that the health of people is inextricably intertwined with that of other animals and of the environment as a whole. Mm -hmm. This past year and a half has been really, you know, really showing us how connected our world is. Right. What's happened to us in the United States is happening everywhere else in the world mm -hmm. as far as the mm -hmm. pandemic or travel and we're just so connected. Mm -hmm. So we're all together on this one planet and taking care of ourselves means taking care of all the inhabitants here. From a VIN Foundation perspective, I kind of, you know, I'm not a veterinarian, obviously, but I'm a huge, huge animal lover. And to me, it's a really direct connection of, I can't imagine a world without animals or with just really sick animals, right? And it seems to me, why would we not want to care for our veterinary profession, professionals and colleagues, so that we have the healthiest animals around and we can learn the ties from a One Health perspective between the two and learn how we can improve both health um, and also that that small connection that we are all these beings on earth. And that's, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I agree with you about that. <laughs> yeah, I was just reading an article the other day in the newspaper about, so I, I'm in the Pacific Northwest. Mm -hmm. and we had the heat dome. Right, right. The end of June where it was deep into the hundreds. Um, right. Which is not, not normal. normal for here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At least it didn't used to be. Mm -hmm. And I've always wondered, you know, oh, what happens with the birds outside when, right. it's, when it's whatever, whatever the weather's doing, they seem to manage to find a way to hide out. But no, they were falling from the sky. I didn't oh know that. I, saw, right. I, didn't, I mean, I didn't see them here fall from the sky, but apparently in Seattle, there was, there, they had, there was a lot of rescue going on, um, attempted rescues. 
of these birds. I mean, there's only so much that they can take. Right, right. So they're very, uh, you know, that classic canary in the coal mine, right? What happens to them? Uh, so to true. You know, yeah, it's, it's so true. They if you don't have housing, you're not going to have a place to retreat. Right. Or if you have housing and the power demands are too great and you don't, you lose power, then you're vulnerable. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I really hope we, and you know, the veterinary profession, but everybody um, mm -hmm. really recognizes that and takes it to heart that, you know, we're not in a bubble. <laughs> we, right. we can't shield ourselves from the larger environment. We are part of it. And if we want to take care of ourselves, then we take care of everything around ourselves. Right. Our animals. And I, it, it, you mentioned canary in a coal mine and it's so true. Just how, if we paid more attention to the animals around us, they are so much more aware of the things going on and can really be, you know, almost warning systems to things that are going to happen. Right. I mean, we could look at what's happening with bees and yes, I'm a little mm -hmm. biased there because I'm a backyard beekeeper, yeah. but I think, <laughs> I think that in, you know, other areas there's, you know, even if you're walking around somewhere and you're on a hike and you suddenly hear a bunch of crows and well, you're probably not, it depends where you're hiking if you're seeing crows, but whether it's birds, et cetera, that there's, there's something going on that you should probably be listening to that to understand mm -hmm. what is that warning that they're sharing. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe some raptor. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I, I've so enjoyed chatting with you, Edie, and there's so much more that I know that we could talk about, but we do try to keep these somewhat shortened so that we encourage audience listening. <laughs> One question I really like you know, asking our guests, do you have a secret talent or something you enjoy doing that most people might not know about? A secret talent? You know, just the other day I was talking with our team members we were having a hangout and um, they were talking about hobbies mm -hmm. and that the young people on our team, um, this, this is a, a, a part-time who, a part-timer who was a, a intern last year mm -hmm. um, asked about hobbies and, and the other young person who's an intern, you know, had some hobbies and then myself and, and Lisa who are um, older we were like, hobbies? <laughs> what do we do for hobbies? Um, you know, I cook, but it's not like I'm a foodie, right? Mm -hmm. I cook so that we can eat. Um, <laughs> I like to hike. I don't, I don't backpack anymore. Um, mm -hmm. My knees aren't so happy about that. Or, you know, wouldn't be so happy about that. But I do love to hike. Does that count? Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's, sure. that that's a secret talent i used to do martial arts but i don't do that anymore that could be so a secret talent that was secret but i don't <laughs> know if it counts as a talent anymore what type of martial arts uh karate nice yeah, yeah. see yeah. now it's just it's important to know those things is it yeah to piss me off <laughs> exactly <laughs> if we're nearby each other be very yeah. nice to Edie when you see her next time, time. <laughs> it's been a long time since I practiced so I don't know how much damage I could do 
Well, thank you so much, Edie. I really appreciate you taking the time. And I am such a huge fan of your work and the work that the VIN News Service does. You guys are really doing great journalism. And I might be a little bit biased, but it's it's very well written and very well researched. And I appreciate knowing that I can trust the stories that come out of your virtual newsroom. And so thank you for what you're doing for the profession and our colleagues. Thank you, Jordan. I really appreciate your interest and your support. It means a lot. Absolutely. Take care. You too. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Veterinary Pulse. Please check the episode notes for additional information referenced in the podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please follow, subscribe, and share review. We welcome feedback and hope you will tune in again. You can find out more about the VIN Foundation through our website, vinfoundation.org, and our social media channels. Thank you for being here. Be well.